0: thankful for life. And guys, you look around today, and those who are with us, we should celebrate and rejoice in the life that we have. Because we know what a precious gift it is, and we know how quickly it can be taken from us, and how fleeting life is. But as we sit here today, we have to be able to rejoice in the Lord because he's given us blessing. And it was these almost 2,000 years ago... Uh, if you think about when Christ died, and, and it's, it's uh, debated whether it was 33 AD, and we won't get into those specific year dates uh, today, but if you think about this being the year 2021, almost 2,000 years ago, regardless of whether it was 30 Um, AD 33 AD 35 AD there's there's arguments there but we know that Jesus walked into the city or he didn't even walk he he rode on the colt of a donkey on a foal into the city this borrowed foal that had not been ridden before and uh, Jesus comes into the city and he's not on a white stallion he's not on this magnificent beast uh, people are probably looking for and you know there's probably some disappointment in people's eyes as they see Jesus riding into the city on this meager little animal, all right? And I, I think that over these next few days, people would continue to be disappointed because Jesus wasn't matching their expectations. Um, he was matching God's expectations, step for step, stride for stride, breath for breath. but. The people were looking for something different. And I think even these 2,000 years later, a lot of people are still looking for Jesus to be something different, to be embracing and accepting of all things that we do, even sinful things. They want Jesus to put his stamp of approval on our sinful lives and tell us that he's just love and no judgment, nothing else is going to happen, that people are looking for Jesus to be one who uh, embraces them even though they've turned away from him. And it takes two to embrace. Uh, Jesus is still right there and he hasn't changed. He hasn't moved. But a lot of people, as we progress in this society, are turning further and further and further away from the Lord. And their lives are marked with misery, with confusion, with heartache, with pain, with brokenness, and they have no source of solace that we as believers have. And so it is continuously our job to keep reminding people of Jesus. This is the same message that's been preached For thousands of years, and will continue to proclaim it that there is peace, that there is forgiveness, that there is life in Christ alone, and that He loves you. And people still need to hear that, guys. It was because of what Jesus chose to do that we are forgiven of all the times that we have traded Jesus for something that I think in moments we think is better for us. We talked about Adam and Eve taking of the fruit. They thought the fruit was better for them than God was. We talked about Judas uh, betraying the Lord. He thought that the silver and the, the money that he would accumulate was better for him than Jesus. And a lot of times in our lives, if we're really honest before the Lord, we choose other things over God. And yet Jesus chose to die so that those choices could be forgiven and still reconcile us to the Lord this is the good news of the cross the gospel means good news and so it's not all bad what Jesus is doing this week from a human perspective seems tragic and it is that he would have to die for sin But that when we look at it, he chose to die for sin, and he chose to redeem us and restore us unto God, we look at, say, this is good news for us. Instead of being a slave to our sinful desires, our decisions, and even our sin nature, which we're born with, we get freedom from them. Jesus chose death so that we could be forgiven and free to live not only with God in this life, but to live with him and in his presence for all eternity. You know we think about people um, there are lots of you in here that I would describe as this but the people who are uh, different okay and I mean this in the best way possible people who put others before themselves they exude a loving kindness there's a there's a a light that seems to just shine from them they're the people that you're drawn to that you want to be around and those people are just selfless and they make everyone around them and everything around them just a little bit better and brighter And Jesus was such a man people were just flocking to him, but it's amazing how quickly and fickle people can be that they would turn on him in such an instant to Jesus serving was never beneath him instead it was a blessing and an honor and as we look at this I know we we can't be each day in service this week but we can still worship this way on Friday of this week Jesus would be hanging on the cross His greatest act of service to you and I, to mankind, so that he could take our place, he could take our pain, he could take our sin, he could take the death that we deserve in serving us and be a replacement so that God would be pleased. And then it doesn't take a crucified death for us. It takes a simple act of faith where we believe. What a God we serve. And these disciples that were with Jesus had lived with him for three, a little over three years. They had watched Jesus heal the sick. They had seen him raise the dead, perform miracles, and he even fed thousands. He stooped to serve those that others had shunned. And I think about the people that are shunned in our our world today, and I think, how often do I neglect those people? How often do you? And Jesus would pursue them. And it's such a marked difference in our lives. These disciples that were with Jesus were eyewitnesses to his acts of leadership and compassion. They knew him not just as a meek man, but as a bold man. And yet on their last evening together, on Thursday evening of this week, they were unprepared for the depth of grace and humility with which he would serve them. And I want to talk just a little bit about Jesus washing feet, because I'll probably allude to this a lot more than I even will the cross this week, because we're so accustomed to hearing messages on the cross, and not that it's not the most important thing, it is, and, and then comes the resurrection, but... I want to talk about service, because Jesus' is weak. as he knew he was going to die, as his hour was coming, he just kept stooping, and kept serving, and kept giving, and kept loving. And guys, that's the picture for us, even to the ends of our lives. And so, we come to John 13. John 13, as a whole, will record for us uh, the Last Supper. And near the end of the meal, the disciples were stunned when Jesus would stand up. He would wrap a towel around his waist. He would pour water into a basin, into a bowl. He would kneel before them and begin washing their feet. I don't know if you've ever been a part of a foot washing service. Maybe you have. I don't know if you've ever been the one sitting in the chair who would have your feet washed. But I have. And it is a very big feeling of unworthiness. You don't want somebody to touch your feet. Maybe for other reasons than a lack of humility. But you feel like they shouldn't do that. They shouldn't have to kneel before you. Some people do feel that others should kneel before them. We're not talking about those type of people. But we're talking about the ones who sit in the chair and someone asks if they may serve them by washing their feet. What an act of abject humility, that you submit and surrender to having that done. And obviously some of the disciples weren't okay with this, but Jesus wanted it. He wanted it for them. And there's such great lessons in this. It was an outrageous act. Surely the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords should not be doing such a lowly task. In fact, washing of feet was reserved for the lowest of servants and even slaves in that day. And yet Christ would display such humble, holy servant leadership in this moment. I, I wonder sometimes, guys, if we're not missing the greatest blessings of God because we're so unwilling to humble ourselves to such a position of servitude. John 13:1. Jesus is speaking to his disciples, uh, is speaking to how, he, how much he loved his disciples. Look at John 13:1. It was now just before the Passover feast, and Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart this world and return to the father having loved his own who were with him in the world he loved them to the very end and guys i'll tell you this to the very end of your life that's the promise of christ that he will love you to the very very end jesus was proving beyond a shadow of a doubt that he hadn't come to be served that he came to serve He'd even go so far that evening as to wash the feet of the one who would betray him. If you knew somebody was going to betray you, how would you respond to them? You probably wouldn't let them sit at the table with you. You wouldn't share your meal with them. You wouldn't pray for them. You wouldn't be kind to them. And you definitely wouldn't stoop down to wash their feet in such an act of submission. But Jesus did this. And it's amazing to behold what a humble servant he was. It's that humility that held him to the cross. In submission to the Father's will so that we could be saved. There's a promise of assurance in John 13 for us as believers that we don't want to miss. Once you've been washed, you're prepared. Once you've been washed in the blood of the Lamb, you're saved. Never needing to be saved again. I don't believe that there is anything that can separate us from the Father's love. I believe that once we belong to Jesus and our faith has been placed in Him, that God has sealed us unto the day of redemption. You don't outsin God's sovereignty. And so He holds us and keeps us. And there's a beautiful promise there. But as long as we live on this earth, we know that we continue to struggle with sin. 1 John 1:9 says, if we confess our sins, now there's a big if there. There's an if-then clause here, an if-then statement, if you will confess your sins do you know it takes humility to confess that you're wrong it is so much easier to cast blame or to come up with excuses but if we confess our sins God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from big three-letter word all unrighteousness and that's daily needed but that's our God Not only did he send his son to save us, but he also provided a way so that we could be forgiven, that daily we could remain in fellowship with him if we would do what Jesus did and humble ourselves and ask. And Jesus showed us the way. I'm always amazed at Jesus' teachable moments. If you have your Bible still in John 13, look at John 13, verse 2. There's a question that he's asking here. During supper... When the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, he did what we just talked about, tied it around his waist. He poured water into a basin, began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him what I am doing you do not understand now but afterward you will understand Peter said to him surely you you shall never wash my feet and Jesus answered him if I do not wash you you have no share with me guys there's a great piece to this if you aren't washed and I know this is Christianese language but if you're not washed in the blood of the lamb if you're not forgiven By Jesus. If you've never accepted what he's done for you in salvation, you have no part with him. There's no other way to be saved. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only then, but also my hands and my head. Man, let me take a bath in that bowl, he's saying. And Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need a wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who it was to betray him. And that is why he said, not all of you are clean. Listen, there's a question that's unasked in this, but Jesus is sitting down with his disciples, and the question here is, do you know what I have done for you? And I wonder if Jesus were to ask you that question today. Do you know what I have done for you? Would it be accommodated with gratitude, with reverence, with worship? Would you say, Lord, I don't know all of it, but what I do know, I am amazed at you. And I think it's amazing that Jesus asks that question. He wanted the disciples to understand that just as he had washed their feet, that they were to do the same for each other. They needed this lesson because, as Luke 22, verse 24 will tell us, at that same supper, these meatheads... That's my three-year-old's favorite word all of a sudden, meathead... These meatheads were arguing over who would be the greatest in the kingdom of God. Jesus is washing feet. Jesus is telling them he's about to die. Jesus is telling them about the kingdom to come. Jesus is celebrating Passover with them. And these guys, I'm going to sit at his right hand. I'm going to be the shiniest. I'm going to to have the most brilliance. I'm going to be the one that everybody is looking at when they look to Jesus. And these guys are sitting here arguing over who's going to be the greatest. They needed this lesson in humility so badly, and we do too. Jesus emphasized to them in Luke 22 that the servant is not greater than his master. He was teaching the disciples both this act of service and the lesson of having a servant's heart. And they're not the same. Because, guys, you can serve... Without a servant's heart You can serve and still be wanting the glory for yourself You can serve with wrong motives and wrong intentions You can serve because you want everybody to see you And and see what you're doing and how good you are So you're vacuuming in the fellowship hall And you're taking a selfie at the same time Like look what a good servant of God I am Ashley doesn't do that by the way Servants Don't do it for the recognition or applause Or the approval of men The servant's heart goes beyond this act of service to having a servant's character. Now get this, because I think this is important. The servant's character humbly submits and meets the needs of others, not for their own glory, but for the glory of God. So that if you are the biggest giver in this church... If you are the biggest servant in this church, if you're the greatest evangelist in this church, or the best teacher in this church, or the best administrator, or the greatest chairperson of any committee that we have, it's not for you to get glory and honor. And it's not for me. I have the high task and the holy privilege of standing up here and being a face that is seen. My goodness, guys, if I don't do this for the glory of God, I lose all the glory that I would have tried to accumulate for myself. And you will too. It has to be for him. It was Pastor Rick Warren. I thought it was C.S. Lewis that had said this quote, but it's directly attributable to Pastor Rick Warren. He said, This is true humility. Not thinking less of ourselves, but thinking of ourselves less. Now God doesn't, he's not looking for you to be, he's looking for piety and meekness. That's absolutely true. But God's not looking for you to be this doormat Okay? A doormat doesn't do much good okay? You can wash people's feet You don't have to be what collects the grime Off of their feet on your face But God's also looking for people Who will stand up uh, My brother-in-law Sonny uh, showed me a picture of a shirt yesterday That said make men men again You know what Make the church the church again Make Christ holy again Let Christians and believers be the ones Who are unashamed of Jesus And tell the world about him But guys, we often must think of ourselves less because I think in my own prayers how often I begin with, God bless me. God help me. God take care of me. God give me. And there's nothing wrong with those prayers. But where the error comes in is when I'm not also saying, God bless Dale. God encourage Kathy. God take care of Ben. God uh, give energy and life to Reagan. Or whomever it is, there has to be intercession involved. If prayer is just for you, you're missing the point of prayer. Jesus proved this. And so, not thinking less of ourselves, but thinking of ourselves less. And here's the idea that Jesus is teaching these disciples here. Those who want to be great in God's sight, allow themselves to be less in the sight of men. We're setting an example of in a picture of Christ for the world to see. The best way to be understood or to understand humble service is by example. People can hear you say it all the time. I used to sit under a preacher that would always tell people, uh, I did all of these things this week, and I, I prayed for the, the waitress at Cracker Barrel, and I, I did this, and I did this, and I did this, and I'm sitting there like, eh, Good for you, man. Like, But what, what's left to give glory to God for? and and i'm scared to do that sometimes because we want to say hey listen i am contributing we want people to know that but at what cost at what point is it all about us and so jesus is leading by example his actions were more important even than his words were he was modeling for us what to do and one of the greatest virtues that you and i as christians can grow and develop in our lives is that of a servant's heart because listen guys if you have a servant's heart that's born out of a servant's character, the natural response is to serve. And it has to come from within. You don't just keep serving and, and eventually have it all right. It has to start in here to spread out to here and to your feet. And so uh, you've probably heard this idea before. Uh, this is my, 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 uh, I, my quote or how to say it. Collect moments and memories and not things. I'm not going to lie. I want to collect a whole lot of guns. I want to collect a whole lot of ammunition. I want to collect a whole lot of junk. Uh, I, I want to collect books and 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 baseball cards. And I want to collect. I, if I could, I would collect sports cars and trucks and jeeps. And I want to collect stuff. Why? Because it's fun. It makes you feel good. But if you collect memories and moments which is what Jesus is laying out for us and what the Lord's Supper is. There was nothing tangible, nothing physical from that Lord's Supper, that last supper, that those guys took away with them. All that they took with them was what was ingested. They carried with them the body and the blood, symbolically of Christ, back out into the world. And guys, what we imbibe what we ingest here in the place of worship in fellowship with other believers is what we carry out of this place what we lay at the feet of crosses or at the cross of Christ at the feet of God is what we leave here and then we pick something else up hopefully it's our cross but hopefully it's the freedom and and the peace that the Lord gives us and we carry those things out the same thing was happening that night we collect moments and memories not things so that later in life we'll have no regrets The night before his death, Jesus showed us what greatness is all about. It's humbling yourself, washing feet, and being a servant. And we do well to follow his example. A true servant performs tasks no one else will, just as Jesus did when he stooped to wash feet. The Lord's Supper is a moment in time, and it's a memory. And I don't know if you remember back when you were a little kid I know that uh the times that we went to church when I was young when I was a little boy that the Lord's Supper was prepared there were moments where my parents said you're too little to understand what this is I don't want you to eat and I was always like man I want to take that I want to be just like everyone else I want to do what they're doing it looks fun I wonder what that grape juice tastes like um But there are, there should be a yearning, I think, like you are maybe when you were a kid, okay? And I I didn't grow up in church. It was just sporadic moments that I saw this. But I always wanted to participate. And there are things that make us unworthy of participation. And yet today I wonder if it's become such a custom to us. You know, I've been asked a lot of times, uh, why don't we take the Lord's Supper every week? Why don't we take the Lord's Supper every month? Why don't we take it quarterly? And there's no answer in Scripture that says why Southern Baptists traditionally do it this way. Uh, As often as they got together, they fellowshiped, they feasted, they partook together. But I'm telling you this, it should be something that when we take it, there's something sacred and special about it. Man, you search in your heart, am I worthy to come to the Lord's table? Am I, have I confessed sin before the Lord? Am I sitting here kind of like a Judas at the table with him? Even though I've got all these things against him, I'm hiding all these sins. Am I still going to take? Or should I refrain this time? Or should I confess before I do and let him cleanse me of all unrighteousness and make me worthy? Because none of us are worthy without his invitation. None of us are worthy without Jesus. As the sun set that Thursday evening, That page of history was turning past the 14th of Nisan. And Jesus gathered his 12 disciples in an upper room in Jerusalem for this meal that would be made to remember. Throughout the evening, Jesus was teaching them. He was loving on them, man. He was fellowshipping with them. He was shoulder to shoulder with them. They weren't sitting at a table. They were reclined. If it was a table of any sort, we think about uh, Mediterranean, Asian, whatever, uh, customs, these Middle Eastern customs, very likely it was kind of a U shaped table. If it was anything that was sitting on the ground, they were sitting on the ground, reclined. A lot of times their legs would be uh, kind of in a comfortable position, but they're not sitting at chairs. It's not Leonardo da Vinci's picture of the Last Supper. That's done to show these perfect angles and these perfect, beautiful uh, designs, but it was something different. They're low already on the ground. And so you think about how much lower Jesus has to to get to reach their feet and there's beauty even in that throughout the evening he's telling them about God's sovereign plan of salvation he's moving from all the places in Genesis and Exodus and the prophetic uh, promises to these messianic fulfillments that are about to happen and he's even telling them what's going to happen to you next because guys that's where we are right now in the world we want to know what's going to happen next are we going to be okay Is church going to be okay? Is the United States going to be okay? What's going to happen next? And he's telling them this as he's giving them an assurance of a family reunion of God to come. No matter what happens to us, guys, no matter what happens to us, if we belong to the Lord, we will be reunited with him and those who have gone on before us in Christ. Luke 22, verse 14 and 15 says, When the hour had come, Jesus reclined at the table, with his apostles and he said to them with fervent desire I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer in the original Greek that phrase is an emphatic it is a repetitive used word he, he doesn't just say that I fervently desire to fervently eat of this with you for no reason The word, the passion behind his words really literally means I've desired with a great and mighty, passionate desire for the day that I would get to sit here with you. Can you imagine God saying that to you? God in the flesh, even though this would not be the first time that Jesus had foretold these men of his suffering, his passion coupled with this reminder should have been raising eyebrows as to there is great magnitude in this moment. Let's let's shut up. Let's stop talking about who's going to be greatest. Let's listen. Let's hang on his words. Matthew 26, 26. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to the disciples. And he said, take, partake, eat. This is my body. Guys, this was a portion of the supper where, uh, don't miss this, the roasted lamb, that lamb in Exodus that was sacrificed, whose blood was painted on the doorpost, that lamb would have been cooked, oftentimes with bitter herbs. And at this portion of the, the meal, as Jesus is saying this, the lamb is brought to the table and served to them. <laughs> Sitting among them, Jesus was representing the Passover lamb that was foreshadowed all the way back in Exodus 12. Can you imagine the Lamb of God, the holy, perfect, unblemished Lamb that would take away the sins of the world as that Lamb is symbolically laid on that table? It's it's physically laid on that table. The symbolism that is held, the depth and breadth of meaning that's held in what they're doing there. And they're fixing to eat of it, to partake of it. They watched Jesus as He took the bread, as He gave thanks to His Father for it, as He broke it, And as he gave it to each one of them. Now, understand this that it's no thing to be taken lightly to be invited to someone's table. Um, You're not usually going to invite the people over to lunch that you don't like, right? Doesn't mean if you don't get invited to somebody's table, they don't like you, but you don't usually invite the people that annoy you and disturb you over to share a meal with you. Because even now, as in back in that day and age, people invited you to sup with them, to fellowship with them, because it's an act of friendship. It's a it's a meaning of shared trust. And so, if he's inviting you to the table, it means he's giving you himself. Now, years and years of taking this unleavened bread would have taught all of those people there the urgency of the Exodus. Let me tell you guys, what was the exodus? What's so important about unleavened bread? It doesn't have, even take the time to have the, the yeast, uh, the leaven given into it so that it will rise. They're, they're already dressed when they're eating the meal. Because at any given moment, should they be called away by God, they're ready to pack up and leave and follow and go. And today it's still real for us. In this moment, we realize the transitory nature of life. That it's fickle, that it's fleeting, that it can be over at any moment. And should the Lord call us to go, we pick up and go. Even if it's uncomfortable. Even if we have to leave our home and our possessions behind, we follow Him at any cost. And so not only was the gravity of that situation being unfolded before them, and I think every Jew that partook of the Passover always thought of that during this meal but now Jesus is teaching them the greater significance. The disciples have realized and recognized Jesus' next words as unusual. They're out of the ordinary. It happens in Luke twenty-two, nineteen. 19. He said, this is my body which is given for you. Now understand something. Um, our Catholic brothers and sisters um, practice a practice called transubstantiation big theological word for saying that as we partake, it becomes the literal flesh and the literal blood of Jesus. And guys, we don't, we don't believe that. We believe that if I take it and I eat it, it's still the wafer, the unleavened wafer. If I take and I drink it, it's still the cup of the vine. It doesn't change magically into his flesh and blood. It remains symbolic of the ordinance for which we have called it. And so, Jesus, they're sitting there seeing, they hear Him say this, and they see His unbroken physical body before them. They would have understood this, I believe with my whole heart, to be a Hebraic metaphor. And, and, and in so doing, it's, there's no miraculous changing of the bread to become His body, literally or in any other way. Jesus wasn't peeling pieces of His flesh to give to people. He was saying, Take, eat, this is, this is of, this is as. Jesus gave the bread, and he said, do this in remembrance of me. And that was symbolic of his death that was about to happen for their sins. The disciples couldn't yet get it in their head, and this would be hard for us too, I think. They couldn't get it in their head that uh, they were beholding their king as the sacrificial lamb. If we read these words too quickly, when Jesus says, take, eat, this is my body given for you, given for you. Man, we read that so quickly every time. But if we read it too quickly, we pass over the depth of meaning. We miss the weight of redemption. He's giving himself for you. We pass over the eternal plan that's always been promised since the fall of Adam and Eve. We, we pass over the proclamation that no matter what, he's the sacrifice. And God in us, Jesus, is securing and procuring and prolonging our lives. Passover, as the disciples knew it, had just changed forever. Now, these next few I want to highlight because we've got some, some slides up here, and this is where we're, we're drawing to a close. With this meal finished, there had already been a couple of cups. Uh, we won't walk through all that's involved in the Seder meal. If you ever get to partake of a Seder meal, do so, because you'll see how long it is, Uh, You'll see how uh, meaningful it is. There's rich symbolism in this but here at the end Jesus takes the third cup and in this meal it's called the cup of blessing and Usually this cup would represent or symbolize the blood of an animal that had been sacrificed But here Jesus says now Luke 22 20 this cup is the new covenant in my blood Now again, he doesn't literally pour out his blood into the cup, but this is what he's saying Jesus is using the cup to symbolize the shedding of his blood for the forgiveness of sins, Matthew 26, 28. Poured out for many, Mark 14, 24. Poured out for you, Luke 22:20. 20. There's some power in that promise. Now, we understand this, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, including each of us here and sin separates us from our holy God, who has deemed in Hebrews 9.22, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. So sacrifice has to be bloody, and it has to be costly. And we don't like it that way, but this is what God gave us. And he said, I'm going to spend my all. Jesus said, I, I'm giving my all, my very last, my very self, so that you can have this. So to reconcile us to God, Jesus offered his blood. As the final sacrifice and what that would do is it would take that old covenant the law that was given uh, underneath uh, the uh, which we read throughout the whole entire Old Testament that was written in stone and he would replace it with this promised new covenant that would be written on the hearts of his children we would be sealed and filled with the Holy Spirit and he's writing it upon our hearts and so what's happening here well Jesus was at the Last Supper with his disciples on earth, and this was the last one he would partake with them. We can't miss this wonderful reunion that he's promising to the family of God. Look at this, Matthew twenty-six, twenty-nine. Jesus promised to continue the meal in the kingdom of heaven. If there's a meal, there are participants. If you've been invited, and you have, to come to know Jesus, and you've trusted him, the invitation is secure, and you will be at this supper. He and the remaining 11, Judas has left already. He's fulfilling his betrayal. They sang a hymn. And I think this is beautiful. Used to, um, at the end of the Lord's Supper, when um, when I was in high school and college at Unity, Baptist under Brother Sid Ree, we always sang, Blessed Be the Tie That Binds. And so whenever I hear that song, it takes me back to that right there. But typically what would be sung or recited during these Passover meals was something from the Hallel, which is Psalm 113 to 118. That name comes from the Hebrew word meaning praise thou. It's also where we get our word hallelujah, hallelujah. The phrase from Psalm 118, 29, his faithful love endures forever, is the heart behind that promised reunion. Can you imagine they're singing that and then the next day's events on Friday happened, the crucifixion. A couple of days later, the resurrection, they never forgot the meaning of that. His faithful love endures forever. We didn't get what you're telling us, God. We didn't fully understand what you were trying to, to, to get across to us. We're so dense and thick, but Lord, your faithful love does endure forever. We've experienced it firsthand. And guys, we stand here today as the body of Jesus Christ who can say, Lord, though I've been through this, though I've been down, though I've been run around, though I've been crushed and beaten, nothing has overcome me because your faithful love endures forever. Throughout the meal, they, they, they finish their meal, and then they all, uh, the leaven and Jesus, depart for the Mount of Olives. And on the way there, he's teaching them so much in these passages to come about his death, his resurrection, the coming of the Holy Spirit, and serving as their high priest. He's preparing to sacrifice himself. Jesus looks up to heaven in John 17, 1, And he prays, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so that the Son may glorify you. He had affirmed his purpose in coming to earth. And it wasn't to set up an earthly kingdom. It wasn't to embrace everybody in their right now and leave them there. Guys, God loves you too much to leave you in your sin. I hope you know that. The world wants Jesus to embrace their sin and be an ecumenical God that allows anything to pass and anything goes. And sin is pushed aside because nobody's really a sinner if his love is bigger than that. And that you'll accept me as I am. But guys, I tell you this, every one of us were born into this world with a sin nature. And to die with that sin nature means separation from God forever. Jesus came and died. This is the purpose of his death to forgive us of sin and to make us right with the Father. And Jesus alone could do that. Unless there is a remission of sin, there will not be forgiveness and salvation. And I don't know how to put it any clearer. We have to pray and believe by faith. They're on their way up to the Mount of Olives. They've sung, they've talked, they're praying. Jesus is offering himself uh, as this high priest, and he's praying this prayer to intercede for the disciples and for us. And then I want to flash forward. Just before the Jews demand Jesus to be killed, man, there's so many of them that were there laying their clothes down and laying palm branches down, and now there's this shout of crucify him. Pontius Pilate would speak three little words in John 19, 14. It says in that verse, now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. And Pilate said to the Jews, behold your king. How fitting. When Jesus would be crucified on that cross emblazoned above him was something meant to mock him. But even in mockery, there can be such great truth. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Stripped naked, beaten beyond recognition, wholly exhausted. And people look upon him and say, pathetic. What a waste. We see him now as the fraud that he is. But if you look differently, and you understand, you've heard what he said, and you see, and you believe, and there's spirit understanding everything that he's done everything that he said has come to fruition there's fulfillment in this there's depth and you're shaken. even as the one who stood there with a hammer in his hand at the foot of the cross and had helped nail jesus there would say surely this was the son of god can you imagine people missed it some people saw Still today in this world, people miss him. And some will see and believe. As Jesus on that cross drew his last breaths and he bore the agony of our sins, the king who God's people had prayed for and begged for to sin for years and years had been betrayed in a single moment. And yet, even if they didn't believe in him, He remained their king. And yet even today, whether you believe or do not believe, he remains our king. And he is king of kings and Lord of lords. It is far better to submit to him now than to face what comes next because you've rejected him forever. Jesus bore your grief. He bore your pain. He had done no wrong. Yet he sacrificed himself so that we could know God so that we could be with God and have everlasting life. He knew we could never, ever make it on our own. There's no way for a human to make it to heaven by themselves. And so he did it for us. And I pray, as you read this last line, that as you consider the hardship Jesus endured, as you consider what he left, what he came to, and why, and what he went through, and where he overcame that to go back where he belonged, and he's waiting to come back for us. He's even right now making intercession on your behalf. As you consider that king, that it would revive your hope this Easter with love and fresh hope and joy. I want to ask you to pray with me. And in this prayer, what I want to do, guys, is usher in the, uh, the Lord's Supper, the communion that we're about to take. And there's a place in 1 Corinthians where Paul is talking. And it's 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And there's a place in here as we're praying. I, I just want to read this to you. Keep, keep your, your posture of uh, humility before the Lord. And Paul says, Whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Therefore, let a person examine himself and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. And there's this awesome moment that you have that you don't have to be guilty, that you don't have to live condemned, That you don't have to be unworthy or guilty. That upon examining yourself, you can confess what you've done. You don't have to have judgment. As you sit here today or as you listen to this, the Lord is offering you full pardon. Whether you belong to him or whether today you're accepting Jesus Christ for the first time, there's a moment before we partake of the Lord's Supper together Where we understand not a one of us are worthy. But because of Jesus, he becomes our righteousness. We become the righteousness of Christ to God. That we're forgiven, that we're pardoned, that we're set free, that we have life, that there's peace between us and God, and there's nothing left to separate us from him. This morning, if there is darkness in your life, if there is anger, Hatred, betrayal, anxiety, fear, disobedience. Would you right now, where you sit, doesn't have to be a public spectacle. You don't have to come to the steps of the stage as an altar. But would you confess humbly before the Lord? Would you ask Him to forgive you, to restore you, to reconcile you in relationship? Would you ask him to cleanse you? To make you whole? Whatever you need, just take this precious moment. This fleeting chance to make yourself, I'm sorry, to let God make you right with himself. Don't miss it. Don't waste it. Jesus is speaking. Do you understand what I have done for you? What do you say to (sighs) him? Heavenly Father, Lord, we're your people today. We recognize the high and the mighty cost what Jesus has done for us as we live this week Lord I pray that as we walk through to the cross we would understand that everything that I've ever done thought said every place I've ever been every mistake I've ever made everything you've ever told me to do and I I just didn't do it because I was disobedient and proud every way that I failed you and forsaken you and walked away from you and grieved the Holy Spirit that every bit of that was covered on the cross of Christ And that I am forgiven and set free to live for you in victory until the day that I die. And at that very moment, Lord God, unless you return first in the form of Jesus, that I will be with you in heaven for all eternity. And I thank you and praise you for that. And I pray, Father, that my mission in life would be to take and bring as many people with me as I can to you. And you clean them. And you forgive them. And you restore them and you put your spirit in them. Lord God, if we would live with the simplicity of hope and such a belief, how powerful could your church be as a force upon this earth, where we truly took it into our hands and lived like the gates of hell could not prevail against us. Lord, we pray these things in the precious, in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen.